Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so let's dive right back in. We have another listener question to do. Uh, this one is from actually, uh, her name is Natalie. Uh, so Dr. Davidson, I want you, this one's uh, fairly similar to one we did recently uh, for Monica. So we kind of thought this would be appropriate. I want you to go ahead and read the question. Sure, sure. So this is from Natalie. Um, Hello, Dr. Mackey. I am 45 years old, full menopause, and currently on 80-20 ratio uh, biased, 0.5 milligrams, and 200 milligrams of progesterone since July of 2018. At that time, I was given a testosterone injection, and by October of 2018, I was losing hair, so we stopped that, and I lo- no longer take the testosterone injection. Since then, I have been gaining weight steadily, and even though we try to increase my estrogen slowly, I get too many side effects, such as constipation, the weight gain, horrible bloating, hair loss, diagnosed as androgenic alopecia. My thyroid is in normal range. Is it possible that a different ratio of bias to like 90-10 would be more beneficial for me? I like having my brain and the dryness um, cured, but hate the bloating and the weight gain from the estrogen. When I stop the hormones completely, I feel better. Uh, my belly fat is goes away. I have no more bloating and the weight loss happens. I, I did try DIM, DIM, but my weight just keep increasing. Thank you, Natalie. Yeah, right. So this is a, this is a challenging one, right? So uh, I, I can understand where she might be frustrated. Even her doctor might be frustrated. She's on a very low dose, uh, 80-20 at 0.5 milligrams. Uh, maybe uh, she talks about bloating quite a few times in that question. I'm thinking maybe it might be more related to the progesterone than it actually is to the bias. What do you think? Exactly. So that's why we wanted to do this question because we did another question earlier kind of similar, but this is why it's so important that, you know, what's going to work for Natalie is going to be completely different for somebody else that's right around the same age. That's why um, and everybody's so sensitive and so n- unique in their bodies that, you know, with BHRT or hormone replacement, there really isn't a, you know, one size fits all or a cookie cutter approach because um, you're right with, with somebody else, 200 milligrams of progesterone would be great. But I really think that bloating is coming from the progesterone. Even though in a perfect world in the literature and the research and da-da-da-da-da-da theories is progesterone helps with that, but I find when someone's taking, a female's taking too much progesterone for themselves, no matter what the blood work says, that it can cause bloating and puffiness and water weight. Yeah, right. Uh, Now, what we don't know, she doesn't specify, she says 200 milligrams of progesterone, but she doesn't specify if it's prometrium or not. And we've talked about that on other podcasts too, that 200 milligrams of prometrium could easily cause all of those symptoms, um, even more so than 200 milligrams of bioidentical progesterone. Uh, so, I mean, at 0.5 milligrams of bias, she might as well not even be taking it. That is such a low dose that I can't imagine that that's going to be causing her much of either any relief or causing her any problems because it's such a small amount. But she could be extra sensitive. There are some patients we have that are so sensitive to the littlest things that it could be that 0.5 really is too high for her. Now, 
granted, she does say when she reduces the estrogen that her constipation, her weight, you know, um, or when she increases the estrogen, she gets more weight gain, more bloating, more constipation. So while we're saying that the progesterone might have a factor in this, definitely from her, you know, her input here, the estrogen is having some kind of you know, effect on her. Yeah, sure. Yeah, right. So she asked what a 90-10, a 90-10 ratio at 0.5 milligrams isn't really much of a change. Even going to a straight estriol cream, not even biased, just straight estriol, still isn't really that much of a change because it, the, the overall dosage to begin with is so low. Now, the thing I'm curious about, she's 45 in full menopause. Is that from a hysterectomy? You know, why would she be in full menopause at 45? Uh, you know, now granted that's possible, but she's about what, six and a half, almost seven years too early for menopause. So there's something that led up to that, uh, that makes it, you know, makes me question and granted, we're not getting all the information or all the backstory. So we're trying to speculate on a couple of ideas, but a woman 45 and full menopause, that's not necessarily very common. Exactly. That was kind of my first thought too, is maybe she had a hysterectomy, but I think she probably would have written that in there that I had a hysterectomy. It could be that she's, you know, technically perimenopausal because like we've always said in the past, the blood work for checking for, you know, whether you're in perimenopause or menopause is so misleading when you look at the reference ranges. You know, a lot of doctors just go by an FSH, a follicle stimulating hormone, and anything over 25 says you're menopausal. And that's just not true. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, like you said, uh, one, one of our last ones we talked about, uh, Monica, you've, you've, you watch the FSH on purpose. You see it kind of bounce all over the place. Uh, so that's where perimenopause into menopause, it's not so black and white. There's a lot of gray area there. And that, that transition from perimenopause into menopause can take, you know, 10 to 15 years in some cases. Uh, it can take, a, it can be a very long period of time for women um, from their early 40s to their mid 50s. That whole period could be, uh, that whole time frame could be, you know, a woman being in perimenopause. And then finally she goes, she transitions into full blown menopause. Exactly. And maybe she did have a hysterectomy where they took the uterus out, but left the ovaries in. And that can be producing hormones as well. So we, like you said, we don't have a whole lot of backstory to this, but she is having symptoms. She, when, when she raises up that estrogen slowly, she still gets negative side effects. So something you had mentioned earlier that might not, you know, might actually be a good idea is taking the estradiol out completely. Right. Yeah. Even though it's such a small amount, like you said, she might be one of those ones because of where she is in her life. Uh, she might just be, ex, you know, extra sensitive. Uh, so a little bit, you know, a little bit in her case, a little bit goes a long way. Uh, you know, so that's why, like you say, you can't, you can't, uh, you can have some starting points for women just in general, but you really have, you know, when you have a situation like this, uh, again, taking all the factors in, into consideration, um, it is always a custom prescription, a custom treatment plan for that particular person and situation. You might have 10 women with the same dosage, but how you got to that dosage is very specific to that person. Exactly. So, um just from, you know, experience and working with a lot of different women with the hormone replacement, I do find if a female's going to be sensitive to estrogen, they're going to be sensitive to the estradiol. That's usually the thing that's causing, you know, whether it's breast tenderness, fibrocystic density, um, weight gain, bloating. Like we said, the progesterone might have a little hand in this, so it might be a little bit too high or the prometrium isn't the right thing for her. But if she is going to be sensitive some, to something, it's going to, it's most likely the estradiol if we're looking at that biased. Now, estriol is very gentle, but 
not that we want to give what medical advice just for educational purposes, la la la, is I would say even taking that estradiol completely out, but raising up the estriol. Uh, so um, I explain that. So she's on 0.5 milligrams of a biased 80-20. So that's really, really, you know, really low. What, you know, I have to pull my iPhone out and do the calculations to tell you exactly how much estradiol and exactly how much estriol is there. But honestly, if we took the estradiol out and just did an estriol only, but really, you know, bumped it up to like three milligrams per gram, where she does maybe 1.5 milligrams in the morning, 1.5 milligrams in the evening, even going up higher to like five milligrams of estriol E3, because estrogen you know, there's three different estrogens. Estrone, we make that a lot when we're younger. Um, our fat cells make a lot of estrone. We don't want it. We don't want estrone. Estradiol is the strongest form of estrogen. E2, estradiol, and estriol, E3, is very, very gentle. And so what Natalie's saying here is that she really likes having her brain back and also the vaginal, it sounds like probably the dryness, probably vaginal dryness, I'm assuming, is estriol is great for your brain and it's great for vaginal dryness. So we could use estriol instead take out the estradiol and then she wouldn't have to deal with uh, and maybe dial back the progesterone a touch and then she wouldn't have to deal with you know the bloating and the weight gain because trust me no no gal wants to gain weight if she didn't get to earn it yeah right right well and uh, you know th- you're right that brings up a, a, another idea too is if you're using just a straight estriol cream and if she's applying that vaginally because she's having some dryness issues uh if in some of these situations again if they're you know a non-menopausal age, so to speak, or in that perimenopausal window where their menstrual history is fairly recent, you could do a little bit vaginally and that sometimes gives them enough estrogen to solve some of their problems. Yeah, so she could do it vaginally for the vaginal dryness and then maybe once or twice a day, she could do it just topically like on the inner thigh to go systemically to kind of help, you know, it does help with the brain, you know, so um, that might be an option for Natalie because it looks like, you know, it's like she's darned if she does and darned, you know, darned if she doesn't. And I can understand wanting to try the DIM because that does help reduce down um, estrogen metabolites, but I don't usually find that that, you know, really helps with, you know, estrogen dominance weight gain. Yeah, right. Yeah, dim uh, diindolmethane uh, is comes from cruciferous veg- vegetables. Uh, it might be very good in situations like tr- full blown estrogen dominance, but a woman that is in perimenopause, or in this case, as she says, she's in full blown menopause. You're not really estrogen dominant when you're in that transition because your body's estrogen threshold or your estrogen burden, so to speak, is declining anyways. Uh, so you're right. I, you know, dim, I can understand her wanting to try something like that because she's not, she's not handling the estrogen very well. Um, but taking the dim, uh, in some ways, that's kind of the opposite of what she really needs by, by using dim as opposed to the estrogen. But, you know, she just haven't had any success. Now, uh, I, you know, I just looked at uh, the question again, and it doesn't specify whether the progesterone is a capsule or a cream either. Uh, what have you noticed with uh, women's tolerance, you know, from her symptoms, cream versus capsule? Which one's worse? Cream, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say worse, but cream being bypassing the digestion, going in, you know, applying it to her inner thigh or something like that is at 200 milligrams as a cream is really high. Because when you test somebody with the cream, the levels do go up. I mean, you do see it go up. It's just, it doesn't have that protection for the uterus and it 
And I find that progesterone cream doesn't do a whole lot for helping you sleep at night like the capsules do. So if she's using a cream, the 200 is just way, way too much. If she's using a capsule, I'm thinking the 200 might be too high that she'd want to reduce that down to 100. And if she's using Prometrium, which is bioidentical progesterone, but it still tends to have a lot of side effects, especially with bloating and um, water, water weight. So I'm thinking probably more the capsule. And just real quick, just to kind of jump back to that DIM comment that you made, is I do find that when I test women in their 40s and their estrogen is really high, and, you know, so... Um, that means their metabolites are high. It does tend to help with, um, you know, with when it's really high, when their estrogen level, their estradiol levels up at 400 to 800. Doing the DIM is a nice um, piece of the puzzle when you're working with that. But looking at Natalie here, I bet her estradiol, if you tested her blood, is not anywhere near 400 or 800. It's probably like 32. Yeah, right. So, so just to clarify that, and you're right, you're, you're totally right on that. So uh, in perimenopause, you have kind of a pseudo estrogen dominance because you have relatively a lot of estrogen with no progesterone. That's in some ways kind of what the, what our definition of per, uh, perimenopause is. Your body just stops making progesterone, but now you have collectively all of this estrogen floating around. That's going to leave a woman very unbalanced uh, in some respects. So the DIM in that context would help to kind of tone down the estrogen a little bit in the absence of the progesterone. So in that context, you could use DIM with progesterone right? Dim with progesterone would actually be a fairly good combination. So she was kind of on the right track there. She does say that her thyroid is normal. Um, I always, um, you know, I always kind of like to push back on that a little bit. And I, you know, I would like to see the numbers, uh, you know, her, uh, you know, and more than just a TSH number, right? Because this is where these thyroid issues begin to come up when those female hormones are declining, your cortisol's through the roof. We don't know what her stress level is. Uh, you know, the higher the stress level, the more cortisol that her body needs, the, the worse this transition is for women. Because as the, you know, those, this is an exact physiology, but those female hormones tend to buffer some of that stress hormone. Uh, and when those hormones are starting to leave, uh, now you just have this cortisol all the time, and that's where some of that weight gain comes from that they don't want. It is this just, uh, you know, this cortisol freight train that it makes their weight just go in one direction. That's why this happens once women get into perimenopause. So uh, whether that's their early to mid-40s and all of a sudden they're in, you know, they're in perimenopause, the weight just seems to keep going up and up and up no matter what they do. Exactly, because you're right. We we look at thyroid a little bit different, and we always combine the thyroid with some, you know, looking at the adrenals and then the reproductive system. So I always think of it like a triad. You know, you've got these female hormones, the estrogen and the progesterone. Then you've got, you know, your adrenal hormones and you've got your thyroid hormones. You want to, you know, you want to look at them all. You know, you want to work on them all at, to some extent, you know. Um, that way you're not just compartmentalizing and looking at one thing. So I completely agree with Dr. Mackey as I would love to see those. Yeah, right. Now, I had another woman the other day uh, as a patient, actually, and she was uh, 45, uh, and another doctor actually put her on uh, uh, a rhythmic dosing protocol. We'll talk about rhythmic dosing later. Uh, and when I did her blood work as a you know initial consultation, uh, her estro estradiol at a 45-year-old woman was still 240. Uh, meaning that she was still producing where usually when you're in menopause on the lab sheet from either Quest or LabCorp, it'll give you either the number, uh, but usually a menopausal level will be less than 30, right? Sometimes it'll be even in the teens or it'll even be below 10. Um, hers was still 240 and the doctor had her on estrogen. Okay. That's just not really going to go well for her. And now it's possible she's 45. 
Um, how was that determined that she's in full menopause? If it's a hysterectomy, okay, I get it, but maybe her body is still producing some if they left her ovaries there. Because um, you said, you know, uh, before we've, uh, you know, this is just how it works with hormones. When your body does not need a hormone because your body is still producing it, um, you're not going to feel very well, uh, right? So in that case, the woman told me, she goes, I like the philosophy of the rhythmic dosing. The, it's called the Wiley Protocol. She loves the philosophy of it, but she didn't do very well with it. Well, well, well my opinion was at the time, I said, well, uh, to, to be honest, you're not really a candidate for it. You should never have been on that in the first place because your body is still producing uh, when I saw her, she'd been off all hormones for two weeks and her level was still 240. Uh, you know, so um, that's, a, that's a woman who does not need any hormones. So there's a few things here that we would just need to ask more questions so we could clarify. Uh, but, um, you know, certainly it doesn't mean that the estrogen, like you said, you know, switching it, there's lots of things. We've just thrown out about four different options that could be done um, that we would easily know what to do if we had some of that backstory. Exactly. You're right. You know, we always say it, the hormones are not a cookie cutter approach for the right candidate. Hormones can be great. Like you said, the rhythmic dosing is amazing for the right candidate. For the wrong candidate, it's not good. It doesn't mean that that protocol is bad. It just wasn't right for that individual. So it's just, you know, with Natalie working with her doctor and finding the right protocol that works for her and then constantly updating and keeping an eye on it. Yeah, we didn't talk much about the progesterone and or the testosterone injection. Uh, she kind of came to that conclusion on her own. Um, we never would give a woman a testosterone injection. Uh, it's just too strong, too powerful, uh, and it's not the place to start. Uh, you know, it's just you know you do that like you always say. It's the frosting on the cake. You do that later once you have a good solid foundation of estrogen, progesterone, estrogen. What makes a woman a woman? That is the number one hormone or the main hormone for a woman to con to focus on uh, in whatever con context or situation that is, you know, giving them, you know, that strong of a variable right off the bat, you know, uh, and that's why you don't do too much too quickly because the skin and the hair issues will, will show up, you know, kind of immediately. Uh, and then you're trying to backpedal and, you know, undo some of that. Exactly. Uh, now I will say one more thing about that, about right. the hair loss is, uh, hair loss uh, can also be kind of exacerbated by stress level. So mm -hmm. as your cortisol is through the roof, in some ways, that's where that hair loss comes from. Uh, you know, and sometimes, you know, especially now with the lockdown and COVID-19, everything that's going on, everybody's stress level is a little bit higher than it, you know, than it needs to be. That is just not a good thing for, uh, you know, for preserving hair. Um, so lack of sleep, uh, too much job or family stress, uh, too much exercise, uh, you know, aggressive cardiovascular exercise are all things that can kind of make that um, hair issue worse, uh, you know, which is, you know, which is a really, you know, challenging thing to solve and calm down for women. And, you know, not to not to keep beating a horse here, but she does mention that her hair loss was diagnosed as androgenic alopecia. So that means androgenic is androgens. That would be too much DHEA, too much testosterone. So in some regards, somebody is diagnosing her saying her androgens are too high, creating the hair loss, which would be in the top of the head and the temples mainly when you have androgen derived hair loss. So in some respects, trying to dampen some of that androgenic response and, and they're probably trying to do that a little bit with the progesterone and the estrogen would probably also help her hair. Yeah, right. Totally. For sure. Uh, so again, uh, just uh, our way to, you know, kind of, you know, we, again, we would have a few more questions about it. Um, but, 
uh, at the same time, you know, this is a this is definitely a challenging one, right? She's uh, a little bit sensitive because um, she's not on very much bias to begin with. Um, but you know, we both, you know, that's why we decided to talk about it because we both kind of honed in on that progesterone because that's what we see from progesterone. The women that don't tolerate too much progesterone, they'll always complain of that bloating, almost like they. Now, granted, I'm not a woman, obviously, so I don't know, but they always communicate almost like they feel like they're going to get their period, but it just feels like that all the time, you know, and that's where some of that bloating comes from. So that'd be the place that I would look. Uh, we're both on the same page on that one, as we usually are. We don't usually, uh, you know, I hope that's not redundant. We don't disagree very often, but, you know, we do things fairly similar for a reason because uh, people seem to respond well to that. So uh, do you have anything else to add or are we, uh, are we done with uh, Natalie's question? No, no, definitely. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Natalie, for writing in your question. Um, did she find us from an article or a previous podcast? Uh, I don't have that in front of me, oh, so I'm not curious. really sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. It was a blogger. Yeah, it was from, you know, to be honest, I wrote the question down and I I didn't write down where it came from, so I'm not really sure. All right, but either way, thank you, Natalie, for your question. Um, I hope we helped you, and I definitely think we're helping other people because if you have this question, trust me, a lot of other 40-year-old females, 45-year-old females have it too. Yeah, so until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.